Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by free iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 14, where we talk about CI. So guys, CI, what is it in a nutshell? The CI, continuous integration, uh, automating the, the build and sometimes the deployment process of applications. Um, primarily, they drive rapid feedback of build failures after a commit. Uh, it often runs automated unit and integration testing. So when have you found using CI valuable? Is All it... the time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is it good for a person, a single developer on his own personal projects? I think even a single developer can benefit from CI. You know, that eliminates some of the manual process of building and testing the application, as well as eliminates a single computer as a as the only place you can build the app. Kind of gives you some independence of the hardware. If you have a build server somewhere, you know that it'll build the same way every time. So automation is usually a good thing. Especially if you have a project where you're doing builds on a regular basis and doing lots of releases throughout the year. Now, I mean, there's normally some overhead to to get it set up, but I still think that even for like a single person project, it's probably still worth the effort to get at least some level of continuous integration set up. And now I know on, on my personal projects, I've primarily kept to just building on my local machine, but I have set up a CI server and done a little bit with it. But it's it's a difficult process sometimes. Yeah, and these tools in particular are not the most trivial and, and reliable, and there's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. So I, I would definitely say, yeah, single developer, it's a great thing to have. But when you start scaling up your teams, that's where it really shines. Yeah, it's probably even more helpful at that point, uh, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, you know, the why, why is it important too. So um, kind of the, what's the first one Alex mentioned was uh, the rapid feedback, uh, you know, on, on builds. So wh- why is that important? That gets into the concept of the cost of change. Uh, the sooner you find a defect, the cheaper it is to to fix it. And typically, you still have the context of the change in, in mind. If if it goes three months before you realize that you introduced a, a breaking defect, it's harder to remember what you had done to introduce it or another team member. So the sooner you find it, the cheaper it is and faster it is to fix it. Well, it's also then nice to know when donuts are coming the next day. If somebody breaks that build, they're bringing in donuts. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that can be bad for a team when they have lots of breaking build, lots of extra bad calories. For, yeah, <laughs> bad for waistlines. Yes, yeah. but uh, you know another aspect of it is that independence of the hardware. Um, I've been on lots of projects where I've come in and there's only one machine where you can build the app. Or it builds differently on different people's machines. So eliminating specific hardware from the build process is very helpful. You know, with something like CocoaPods, for example, um, you know, maybe 
maybe not everybody's keeping their CocoaPods version up to date, and you might have different results based on the machine it's built on. So having a build server that's independent of the developer hardware, and, and it's always every build's being built on that same machine can help eliminate that as a possible issue. Yeah. yeah, it definitely gives you like some consistency, but it also forces you to kind of iron out some of those issues so that you don't have them just because it has to run on your machine and, and somewhere else, Yeah, for sure. And for us, we've got to worry about the version of Xcode, the version of OS X, the version of Ruby with some of these tools, CocoaPods, uh, the list goes on. Uh, so keeping those versions up-to-date and consistent is important. Yeah, it's surprising, but I, I know I've run into bugs where they worked fine on my machine on a higher Xcode version, and then the build server would put out builds that had little subtle bugs here and there. And they weren't able to be tracked down until we actually decided to update the Xcode version on the build server. So surprisingly enough, that can cause issues. Yep. And if you got... If you have one machine that has auto-updates turned on, that can have interesting impacts as well. Things will get updated behind the scenes, and you might not even realize it. Yep. Uh, One thing Alex mentioned earlier was kind of getting early feedback if there is, you know, some type of issue, and that's definitely true. But I've also found it kind of keeps you honest with, with with your tests. Sometimes if there's no continuous integration, you break a unit test, you're like you may, A, not even know that it's broken because you didn't run the unit test before you committed or whatever, and and B, uh, you may be like, oh, that one's broken. I'll get around to fixing it sometime. And that just leads to not having, you know, tests that are making sure things are still working and, uh, you know, just a, a giant mess of like, oh, if I want to fix all these unit tests, forget it. It's It's over. I don't want to spend all that time doing that. So... It helps keep you honest. Right. You keep getting emails saying, hey, fix me, fix me. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to have that stop the line mentality. If the build's broken, everybody stops, figures out why, and fixes it. Otherwise, you know, if everybody just ignores the build, then it's not adding any value. Yeah, typically what I find, though, is that somebody ends up being the guy who always fixes the build when it's broken. That's if there's not a code issue behind it. Because sometimes there's a configuration that just changes and then your build starts failing. Yeah, some of that's just inherent to the tool set we deal with on iOS. But like even like we've had continuous build set up for our iOS project and our server project, but our Android project still isn't uh, building on, on our CI server right now. So we don't do a good of its of job making sure that you know all of our tests are still running and that there aren't any issues so it'd be nice that's, that's one of my goals is to get everything on there but not not yet yeah now do you have a mix of developers who like to run the test and then developers who don't necessarily run the test before check-in um to some extent we have a a mix there's not that many of us if yeah. anything if anything i'm probably the most guilty party because I'm like, oh, the server will find it <laughs> if there's an issue. Why do you have a, a mix, Sam? Definitely, yeah. I'm sometimes the one that forgets too. Just just testing in general with iOS is sometimes it makes it difficult to even write a test for what you're working on. 
Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we should probably have another episode to to talk about all the different ways you can attempt to <laughs> automate tests on iOS because there's lots of lots of stuff there. On uh, my personal project, I'm doing pretty well with my test coverage. I mean, I don't have any uh, metric metrics generator, but uh, overall, I'm keeping to a somewhat TDD style where I'm writing my spec and then implementing the code. So I'm, I'm trying to be good there. Cool. So, well, are there any other uh, benefits or why you do continuous integration that anyone else can think of? Well, one thing we use at work is we use Hockey App, and then our build server, every time there's a commit, we'll push out a new version of the app to Hockey App for our QA to download. So that's nice because in our defect tracking system, we just note the build number that the defect is fixed in, and the QA goes and downloads it and tests it out. So you mean if someone's out on vacation, that's the only one who can do the build, you're not stuck? <laughs> definitely not stuck. Yeah, that's definitely happened places where I've been in the past, which is it's not fun for well, anyone. Yeah, well, then there's the older CI or the, the older uh, source control systems that lock the file and then somebody would go on vacation. That was always a good one. Yeah. Well, and I can remember, uh, you know, just this automation saves a whole bunch of time, too. I was at places where, you know, you'd try to, someone would do a build once a day or whenever there is a big enough changes. And uh, just doing that all the time uh, adds up when you're, you know, spending 10, 15 minutes to do a build and get it submitted to the place where you can download all of the the builds like two or three times a day. Right. And that's definitely time and money that you can save yourself. You guys have implemented your own servers for CI. Yeah. Yep. Uh, how, if I was to start out with the CI server, what would I need to do to start with? Like what's the bare minimum to get going? Yeah. Well, you mm. install some server. Yeah. I mean, let's okay. Let's say I've got my <laughs> Mac mini hanging around. Yeah. Or, even my own personal laptop. Yeah. So what do I need to get going from there? Well, depending on the size of your project, you may want to set up, you know, some access control, but it seems like the first major step is you, you get that thing hooked into your version control system so you can pull down the code. That's always my first, you know, thing that happens. And, you know, once the code is getting pulled down, then you attempt to, get it compiling, running mm-hmm. the tests after that. Um, and what software do you guys tend to use for your CI servers? I've been using TeamCity for a long time, pretty much since TeamCity was released. I've been using that back in my server-side days and then continued on when I moved to iOS using it. It's fairly easy to use. It's free for up to 20 build configurations, I believe, so... Real comfortable with that at this point. That freeness is a fairly recent thing too, isn't it? They've always had a fairly limited version that was free. It seems like you can do more with the free version than you used to, I guess. Yeah, they they removed a lot of the restrictions that they had with the free version. Uh, You can have up to three build agents running on multiple machines. Um, You can have no limit on users. Or projects, it's it's just the number of build configurations that they have a limit on now. And then once you go beyond that twenty, you get bumped into 
the enterprise level where you start paying. Now, is that a pretty steep ramp or is that a nice gradual ramp? Some of these things, it's like, oh, yeah, it's free. And then the next thing you know, you hit the limit and you're paying $1,000 a week. Yeah, I think it's it's not $1,000 a week, but it's it's a decent bump. It's an annual licensing fee or um, it might be a perpetual license, but they encourage you to upgrade fairly often. And they've been doing a great job of keeping it up to date and adding features to it. You know, new version control systems come out or um, other things to integrate with. They they add add features all the time. Yeah, the only big big thing that they don't keep up to date to up for, and I, I think it's probably because it's really hard to, is is the kind of iOS tool chain, just because it's changing so much. Right, and I think most people in their CI server are just shelling out and using the command line tools that Apple provides to do the heavy lifting or some open source wrapper around uh, the Xcode tool chain. Yeah. Yeah. On on other platforms, it's kind of nice. You know, there's some nice really uh, established build systems like, uh, you know, Ant or Groovy or, or sorry, uh, Gradle, um, Maven, you know, all of those are nice and, you know, well-formed. So all of the CI servers have pretty good support for just saying, point it at the file that configures how all that stuff works, and and then you're good to go. You just click a couple drop-downs, and you could build. Uh, I wish it was that easy for iOS. It's getting better, though, so maybe we'll be there soon. Yeah, Xcode build is it's gotten better. I don't know if I go as far as to say it's gone a long way, but it's getting there. There there was several versions where you could not run unit tests from the command line. And that was a painful period for those of us that live and breathe by test driven development and and test automation. For the last few versions that's been working reasonably well. I think they got that working better because of their own tool that um the, the bots. bots yeah xcode bots yeah and that's you know if you're somebody new to continuous integration the xcode server is probably a good place to start because you don't have to worry about writing build scripts it integrates tightly with xcode um, manages your provisioning profiles for you gives some great graphical reports on test coverage and test performance definitely something worth looking at as a starting point yeah it's a very nice basic ci server yeah it's it's fairly limited they've added features with xcode 6 and i'm hoping they'll add some more with in june uh, at wwdc but it it doesn't go far beyond the project based work there's no access control by project so you can't can't open it up to clients if you're doing client work or if you have a large company where you don't necessarily want to give access to everyone in the company. Um, you're, you're kind of limited there. Right. And everything is run as a build step. So if you need to invoke a custom shell command, say like to download CocoaPods, that's in a build, that's in your build steps. And if you wanted to upload to test flight or 
any of those others, then that's going to be another build step, a post build step in your project file. And I think getting that to run differently for the CI versus your local builds might be a little bit of a challenge. So Alex, it sounds like you've always used uh, Team City. Sam, have you used anything else? So I've used Jenkins for a little while. Um, I find that Team City is nice, but the community support isn't always as up to date or as strong as something like Jenkins. So there, there are a lot more plugins for Jenkins, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but the UI is a little bit more clunky. The Xcode plugin, it's an open source plugin. There's no commercial support behind it. And it is basically just a wrapper in front of the Xcode build command. But it yeah, works. You don't want to use... Did you actually use it to work? Like yeah. that's the plugin you use to build your projects on Jenkins. I do. Uh, my project is fairly simple, though. So okay, that, I'm impressed because yeah, I I also mainly run Jenkins. I've Team City is Team City seems really cool, and if you're in an enterprise, it's probably the the way to go. Um, but uh, Jenkins, the CI server formerly known as Hudson, is it's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, we just use actual, you know, like uh, bash scripts to to do our builds. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think in a lot of cases, these build servers end up being little more than schedulers and, and tools to monitor version control that kick off scripts that ultimately just shell out to the, the Xcode toolchain. But I do think Jenkins is probably the most popular option out there right now. A lot of the hosted solutions are probably based on Jenkins, partially because it's open source and there's a decent amount of community support around it. Yeah, well, in the very basics to a build server, it's not very complicated. No. no. It's run this set of commands from download this set of source files, that kind of thing. And the deploy for the... uh, agent setup for Jenkins is actually pretty simple. If you're, if you have an actual Linux box or something running Jenkins and then you want to make a Mac slave, you just have to set up SSH on your Jenkins user and uh, set up a few permissions and you're going to be building pretty quickly. There's there's actually like three or four different ways to do it. Um, And we don't even it doesn't even use SSH for us to do our, our builds. We use the Java web start. So basically when our Mac mm-hmm. starts up, it uh, runs this Java web start app that pull down from like the, the master generates it and it connects to it. So like, I don't have any firewall ports open to it because our, our master is like in the cloud, but our Mac mini that runs our CI stuff is, is, just a Mac mini sitting at someone's house. Um, okay. So that was, that was one of the big benefits for me is I didn't have to open my router up to, to the world and I didn't have to do any port forwarding cause that's always a pain in the butt. And yeah. So, so you're hosting your master in the cloud. Mm-hmm. 
And is that a cloud service or? No, we just have a uh, it running on Amazon EC2. We've that's where pretty much all of our cloud stuff is is an Amazon. Okay, so you just have a basic server you set up an yep. EC2 instance, and that's running yep. Jenkins. Unfortunately, Amazon doesn't support Mac servers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be pretty expensive for them. If Apple would just be nice and let them virtualize it, it wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> well, they'll let you virtualize OS ten on Mac hardware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like on that server that they still sell? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Mac they mini stopped. server now. <laughs> yeah, so, so what are some of the cool things we can do with a build server. Um, well, we haven't we haven't talked about how you get notified yet. So there's all kinds of different ways you can get notified when things go horribly wrong or things are working good. Uh, you can do you know your standard like emails or you can go fancy and do like a Twitter or Slack integrations. Those are always more fun. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing stories of the lava lamp that some people would set up that would be tied to their build server. Oh yeah. Or you set it up to an Arduino. It plays like some siren sound or something along those lines when the, <laughs> when the build breaks. It's all mind. kinds of fun stuff yeah. there. I wouldn't mind having some uh, electric nodes hooked up to people's keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> you give, give them a little shock if they break the build. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> At least in their chairs. Yeah. Doesn't have to be a keyboard. I've not heard of anyone who successfully set that up, but. Yeah, I think people might be switching chairs around at that point. Yeah. One thing that's that's kind of nice to do is uh, get build numbering set up because most of us are using Git these days and uh, having, you know, your your Git hash for your latest commit as the identifier in your app is not very useful for, for testers or even for developers trying to. Yeah. Relate different builds to each other. <laughs> yeah, if you want to figure out what came first with a Git hash, it's not very easy. What other cool stuff do you guys do? Managing provisioning profiles is something that is never easy and, and probably something people don't think about right away, their build server, but can be very useful, especially if you update your provisioning profiles periodically. So what kind of things do you do when you're managing your provisioning profile? Installing certs, unlocking the keychain, creating a new keychain to store your certs in, um, updating them, loading up your provisioning profiles, moving them to the right location so your builds work. Okay, so those are all like CI tasks then? Yeah, yeah. If you script that, put that in your script to do those steps before it does the build. That way. Or if, I was going to say, if you're doing ad hoc distribution, uh, you add a new device to your profile, can pull it, you can pull that down to make sure you've got all the latest devices. Right. Which a lot of people don't have to do if they don't have yeah. Enterprise or they're not using TestFlight because they need to support iOS 7 or something. And, and the whole code signing part of that too with the certs is you know, something you want to be able to do on the build server if you're going to push it up to TestFlight or anywhere else. Yeah. And one thing I implemented at work, and it was with Team City, was uh, copy paste detection. So we have a tool, it's uh, the CPD tools, 
and I know we've mentioned it in previous episodes, but it it's a step in our build configuration, and we actually even get a report inside of Team City about the percentage of duplicate code inside the app, and if it goes up, we can see that and go chastise a developer. Or, or maybe say, all right, I guess that was okay. You didn't have to, you know, completely rewrite everything for this one little piece of code. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> <Sure>. it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't, acceptable you limits. Always, right. You can't yeah. always ex- extract till you drop. But... Yeah, I think there's some other cool static analysis tools for iOS. Um, none of them are coming to my head at this time. Can you guys think of any other ones? Well, there's uh, is it CoverGirl that will tell you your co- code coverage for your tests. Is that? Yeah. Well, there's lots of there's a couple different code coverage tools out there. Yeah. And you've recently spent some time getting code coverage working, didn't you? Yeah, that sure was fun. I had to contribute to an open source project to, to make it work, but it's <laughs> it's working now. I'm. I was using uh, Franken cover it. It's essentially, you know, a bunch of different tools chained together. Uh, you know, Lcov, Gcov, uh, XC tool to to generate the unit test output, and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Ho- hopefully, we get some better Apple related su- support for that in their tools because it's kind of messy right now to get code coverage. But th- there's other static analysis tools kind of like the copy paste detector that'll like tell you when you're doing bad patterns i mean i i think lovm has some stuff built in that it warns you about yeah absolutely now getting those exposed so you can actually see the results of that static analysis is a little bit trickier the the team city does have pretty good uh, output options for that kind of stuff it's it can easily capture things um, when I did the CPD, the copy-paste detection stuff, all I had to do was output a line to standard out that said, here's a specially formatted line, but it said, basically, here's my C- here's my CPD file. And Team City was monitoring that standard out, and it file- found that line and picked it up and imported it right into the, the uh, build log. Yeah, there's similar, like, standard formats for unit test output and uh, code coverage output that lots of tools will write out for you. So you can get the pretty graphs and all that in your chart. I actually spent some time this last week uh, getting XC pretty output to, to show up properly in, in my CI server with colors and everything. And that was kind of a, a pain to figure out why it wasn't working. But now my builds look very pretty. They don't have like, you know... Th- a 30 line command every time Xcode compiles a file anymore. Yeah, the standard output is very verbose and it can be hard to siphon through all that and find what you're looking for. So something like that is a big help. Definitely. I mean, our configuration at work, the uh, build log can be in the tens of megabytes. So what are you guys all using to do your actual builds, whether it's kicked off from command line or from, uh, you know, straight from the your CI tool of choice. Uh, are you guys using Xcode Build or are you using something else? Depends on the X- project. Uh, I use Xcode Build on some and XC Tool on others. 
Yeah, sometimes XC tool is about the only thing that will run our unit tests. It can it can be more flexible or more forgiving than Xcode build many of the times, but every so often, say a change in Xcode will break XC tool, and then you're kind of stuck for a while. Yeah, I've kind of shied away from using XC tool kind of for that reason, but depending on when you got your CI setup started, I mean, yeah, it probably was the only thing at the time to actually like run unit tests and stuff. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of a pain to switch over just because of everything's always changing. So if something is, you know, stable and working, it's like, all right, I'm not touching that. Right. It's <laughs> yeah, I think it's a risk with any tool that wraps the standard tools. It, it can easily break if, they don't have an active community keeping ahead of the changes. Yeah, Lexi tool is pretty good because that's a Facebook project, and they tend to keep keep with the latest Xcode versions. But it just happens sometimes that a new Xcode comes out, it breaks something, and then you're stuck for a little while. And they might have it fixed in master, but they haven't cut a release yet. Right. At least there's lots of money behind it, so it does get updated at some point. Right. Which is nice. One other thing that is kind of an farther down the path of, of setting up automation is actually running tests on physical devices. Have you guys done any of that? Not so much because uh, the tests that I write tend to be unit tests and not require a UI. I kind of leave the UI up, up to manual testing. Yeah, I haven't I haven't made it that far myself either. Um, I mean, even if I do, uh, UI automation tests, those will, those will run in the simulator pretty well for the most part. So you've got a whole bank, don't you? Uh, We have definitely on the Android side, we've got a fairly robust setup running about nine different devices on every build, including tablets and, and phones. Uh, so we've got a wide range of hardware and screen sizes don't have that set up quite yet for ios but it's on our to-do list but something that we just started looking at is setting up the build to capture screenshots especially for apps that are localized for different languages because that's a fairly tedious effort to generate screenshots when you have five screens on five different screen sizes or five screenshots on five different screen sizes multiplied by the number of languages can end up with hundreds of screenshots that you have to manage and and upload to the app store. So there are tools that to help with that and actually uploading that metadata to iTunes Connect. So have you guys experimented with any of the cloud build suites? I've looked into all of them at some point, but I I've never kind of bit the bullet and and actually used one i probably can't it seems like travis is the most popular one that i see people actually using and maybe that's just because it's more visible in all the like readme files in the front page like the front page of open source projects but uh the fact that you had to use github was the the thing that stopped me because we host all of our code on bitbucket Okay. Yeah, it seems like it would be a nice way to go if a developer doesn't want to invest in buying a Mac Mini or something or mm-hmm. tying up their own 
personal laptop. There's definitely time involved in setting up and maintaining a build server. I mean, you can expect to spend a couple hours a month easily to keep things going if you have a number of projects that you're managing. Yeah. But personally for me, my mine serves a dual purpose. It's a time machine backup server and CI server. So it's been useful for me. Yeah. So in theory, with some, one of these hosted solutions, you've got somebody else worrying about making sure all the tools are kept up to date and work well together. You know, XC tool and XC pretty and Xco build, you know, brew, cocoa pods, all these moving parts. Ideally, they're they're vetting them out, and making sure the versions are compatible. But at the same time, you're dependent on them updating their environment. So if you're trying to stay on the bleeding edge, for example, if you have an Apple Watch app that you want to build, if they haven't updated to the latest version of Xcode, you can't really do it. Yeah, well, they're they're also probably not going to stay on beta versions or, or be on beta versions at all. Right. They'll probably stay with stable versions. A few of them will run, have multiple environments available or versions of Xcode available. Um, but I don't know if that's true for all of them. Yeah, it seems like it's gotten better, but like I'm I'm just kind of scared to, to get something running over there and then, you know, trust my weird, you know, build configurations to, to hey, even being configurable, you know, on, on their solution. But, hey, to keep working every time Apple changes something, that's part of the reason why I haven't done it but maybe i should just let go and trust someone at some point i don't know yeah, definitely tempted to try some of these out other platforms like android or server side solutions you've got a large number of options for hosting and you could host it on amazon for example uh, you don't even necessarily need a dedicated ci platform but because of our mac dependency we have to we our choices are fairly limited so we've mentioned XC tool and, and a couple other things. What other tools do you guys use? Well, at work we use the coverage tools and the CPD stuff, but uh, that's about all for us. Um, our unit test reports, actually, those do get converted into something Team City can understand. I think there's kind of two tools for for that. There's XC Pretty. Uh, which will give you unit test output. And it also, like we said before, makes your builds look really nice. Uh, that's what I use, and I recommend that one. But there's also OC unit to, to J unit, which gives you some nice, just kind of one-purpose tool that does unit test XML output. And that's to make the format friendly for the build servers that are already built, have been built probably for a decade to, yep. to understand a J unit test report now xc tool has a few different report outputs uh, one of them is a uh, team city output so it'll actually write it to the console so team city can pick it up right away that's kind of nice yeah yeah definitely so you don't have to run through some kind of conversion script so i think that's what you used to have to do there's lots of different ways. I think you can skin that cat, yeah. probably. Yeah, not that we would literally skin a cat. Here. No. 
Um, Fastlane is a kind of a cool up and coming set of tools that just hit 1.0 recently. We talked about it uh, episode or two ago too, and I still want to check that out a little bit more. I'm I'm excited by the possibilities of all the stuff that does. We we started experimenting with that at work. Um, one of the big things we were looking at with Fastlane is the ability to capture the localized screenshots. Having mm-hmm. some success, but there's definitely some some rough spots still. There's it it doesn't automatically make everything work, so you still have to create the automation scripts and deal with data setup and and things like that. So, um, but it gets you a step closer. It gives you kind of a framework to work within. And I've, okay. I started trying to integrate it with a couple of existing projects and one project that set up went smoothly and another project hit some bumps in the road and got a lot of Ruby stack traces um, when I didn't put in data that it liked. <laughs> so... I'd like to see a little bit better error handling and and um, and recovery rather than just throwing up stack traces and, and exiting. But yeah. no pointer exceptions or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'll put in some bug reports for them and hopefully that'll get cleaned up. It's definitely getting a little bit of notice now, so so I think it'll continue to improve. The idea of having tools like that to manage provisioning profiles and code signing and uploading metadata to the app store and all good stuff. So I'm hopeful that those tools will get even better. Yeah, definitely. That would be something that's nice. It would be nice to have automated. All right, guys. I think we've exhausted this topic for the most part, unless you want to add anything else. I think it was a pretty good overview. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us where you can, where the audience can find you on the internet? I'm at Alex Argo on Twitter. I'm at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm Sam Corder on Twitter. And the podcast is on Twitter at SharedInst. And our website is sharedinstance.com. Uh, we have had a couple of reviews and ratings in iTunes lately, and we appreciate those, but we would definitely love to have more. So if you're enjoying this, please take your time out and give us a nice little rating. And uh, that's all. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.